Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Conversations presented by SAP. The best run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to challenge the status quo and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, well, we always say you're in the right place because it's always true. So welcome. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. It's the global street. We found a quote from Professor Walter R. Stahl. I'll pronounce his name that way, but I'm going to spell it for you. S-T-A-H-E-L. He was born in 1946. I call him a young guy. Swiss architect, graduated from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich back in 1971. He has been influential in developing the field of sustainability. I'm not going to say any more, but here is the quote from him from his book, The Performance Economy. Quote, the goods of today are the resources of tomorrow at yesterday's resource prices. That's a lot to absorb, okay? I want you to think about tomorrow, yesterday, and we can even think about today in the future. So what are we talking about? little background. The last 150 years of industrial evolution, I didn't say revolution, have been dominated by a one-way model of production and consumption. You know what it is. We manufacture goods from raw materials. We sell them. We use them. We go, oops, they're not good anymore. We throw them away. We discard them. We give them away. We incinerate them. Poof, they're gone. Oh, my. Well, it's been discovered that this practice is not sustainable and calls for a new economic model are growing louder and louder. You may know what I'm going to say next. Enter the circular economy model where it recognizes value and eliminating waste by maintaining products. What a thought. No more built-in obsolescence. Extending their service life. And sometimes, and this is something that may be a revelation to you in our global audience, repurposing one product's waste to maintain another product. We're going to have some case studies from our panel that may really rock your socks because we're talking about reusing, repairing, remanufacturing, repurposing, all the good RE words. So top corporations are leading the charge on accelerating the circular economy. Are you on board yet? Well, our topic today is questioning whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Is it working or not? Circular economy, radical and unproven or saving the planet. I think I know which way we're going to be leaning at the end of the conversation, but I won't give it away. Let me tell you who my two esteemed panelists are before we hear from them. In a moment, I'll be introducing one of my colleagues at SAP. He's Christopher Koch, K-O-C-H, if you want to look him up, Director of Thought Leadership for the SAP Center for Business Insight. And joining him on the panel is another SAP colleague. It's Will Ritzrau, if you want to look him up, R-I-T-Z-R-A-U. He told me I'm sort of pronouncing his name correctly, but let's see if he corrects me. He's Director of Sustainability at SAP. So welcome to our two panelists. And now let's start with a quote Christopher Koch has found from Milton Berle. Now, I'm old enough to remember Uncle Milty on TV. Milton Berle, born Mendel Berlinger, 1908, lived till 2002, was an American comedian and actor. He had a career that spanned 
80 years. He started in silent films. No, I don't remember those. And on stage as a child actor, then he moved. Talk about sustainable, Christopher. He moved his career into radio, movies, and TV. He was the host of NBC's Texaco, that used to be a gas station brand, Texaco Star Theater, and the first major American TV star, as I said, known to millions as Uncle Milty and Mr. Television during TV's golden age. There's some background. Here's the quote that Christopher Koch has selected from Milton Berle. Quote, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. Christopher, I want to add damn it, but he probably didn't use that word. How are you, Christopher Koch? Welcome to Game Changers. I am great. It's wonderful to be here, Bonnie, with my my esteemed colleague, Bonnie. I really appreciate being here. Delighted to have you. Now, you really warmed my heart when you picked a quote from Milton Berle, because I think as a very, very, very young child, I may have been in the womb, Christopher. I remember knowing about Uncle Milty, and he was quite a character. So we're talking circular economy. This is serious stuff. If opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. I want you to relate the quote to our very serious topic today, but you can smile while you're talking about it. So go ahead. Yes. I mean, if you knew about Milton Berle, you know he was extremely determined, right? You talked about the the different ways that, that he managed his career, how he reinvented himself as the need uh, arose. And the key word here is opportunity. And so what I'm really excited about, uh, I'm, a former, I'm a recovering journalist, I like to say, uh, <laughs> in, in, from newspapers and magazines. And what a journalist gets really excited about is when you see a story that you don't think many people are seeing. And there is an opportunity here that I think businesses are missing, and that is this uh, circular economy. Everything is pushing us in this direction, and I think that our view, our traditional view of this linear economy where, as you say, when we're done with it, we're done with it, and we don't factor that into our supply chains, into our uh, business strategies, I think that we are really, really missing a big opportunity. So that's why I picked that quote, because of that keyword opportunity. Thank you very much. And, and Christopher, I often ask this of panelists on, you know, we have 37 different series under the Game Changers banner, 14 are currently in live production. And I like to bring this all back around to the people. Whose job is it? Whose role is it? Whose privilege is it to say, ah, I see an opportunity to make this better? Does it come from the corporate C-suite? Does it come from, oh, I'll use the M-word, millennials entering the workforce? Well, they're already in their mid-30s, so they've been around a while. Does it come from stakeholders, shareholders, consumers? Where does this push to see this opportunity come from? Who's asking for it? That's a great question, Bonnie, because it is coming from everywhere. And the question is, uh, are companies listening? So mm-hmm. from the very top to, to the very bottom and from the outside in, consumers are saying that they want companies to start thinking about uh, uh, and rethinking the traditional supply chain. And we can talk about that in more detail and sort of the technical implications of that. But uh, you're seeing a lot of, of uh, C-suite leaders who are realizing that this is a tremendous opportunity but that it has been segregated in the past. It has been thought of, you know, sustainability, tree hugging. That's something Mm -hmm. for marketing. That's something we do. You know, we sponsor the annual charity softball game. I mean, it's it's way beyond that. It's moved so far beyond that. And I think that um, both C-suite executives, 
line of business executives, uh, the day-to-day employees, and consumers, they're all seeing this uh, as, as something that they need to start thinking about. And if they aren't thinking about it, they're, they're missing out already. Thank you very much. And before I introduce Will, one quick question. The opening, I said that our title of the topic today is Circular Economy, Radical and Unproven or Saving the Planet? Which side of the fence are you voting on, Radical and Unproven or are we saving the planet? Christopher? I think it's Radical and Unproven unproven because I think contrary to popular wisdom, this is not about saving the planet. This is about being profitable. That's the opportunity that I see. When I started doing my research, I thought, oh, you know, here we go again. Uh, Let's see what companies can do, how much extra they can spend to be sustainable. That's not the story at all. The story is that this can actually be profitable. So that's that's the side I'm falling on. I have a three-letter word for you. Wow, I didn't see that coming. That is very provocative, and that's going to make for a great conversation. Let's see what Will has to say. Thank you, Christopher. Lovely to have you on. And now, Will Ritzrow, Director of Sustainability at SAP, has sent us a quote from something else in the entertainment media. It's a quote from... Professor John Keating, okay, you're scratching your heads. Who is he? Well, he was a character in the 1989 American film drama Dead Poets Society, and he was played by the late, great Robin Williams, who played him really as a straight character, Robin Williams, beloved by millions around the world as a wonderful comedian. Uh, Let's see a little new background here. A new English teacher, John Keating, portrayed by Robin Williams, was introduced to an all-boys prep school, We call them preparatory schools, if we're formal, known for its ancient traditions and high standards. He uses unorthodox methods to reach out to his students. There's a lot of yelling and standing on desks and tearing pages out of books. But the students face enormous pressures from their parents in the school. It's not necessarily a happy story. Uh, It doesn't always have a happy ending, but it was a very dramatic and well-received movie. Other people you may know in the movie were Ethan Hawke, who played Todd Anderson, and Neil Perry, uh, Robert Sean Leonard, who played the student Neil Perry. And we'll just leave that alone. And the concept was he helped students learn how to break out of their shells, pursue their dreams, probably define their dreams first, and seize the day carpe diem. Here's the quote Will has selected from... Professor John Keating in Dead Poet Society, quote, No matter what people tell you, words and ideas can change the world. Will Ritzrow, I want to say to you, nano, nano, because I used to watch Mork and Mindy with Robin Williams on TV and with Pam Dauber as his co-star as well. Will Ritzrow, how are you today? Well, yeah, I'm great, and I'm, I'm really happy to be on this show, and I'm, I'm looking really forward to the next uh, 45 minutes discussing this topic with with Chris and uh, just by the way you explained or get, gave the background on on the on this quote you basically said why it's really fitting this topic we're we're trying to to cover today. Uh, Robin Williams or Professor Keaton was was using unorthodox methods, and I think uh, the circular economy actually goes act, uh, uh, fully along. Uh, those lines, because some of those things require unorthodox methods to get this going. And, uh, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, I couldn't agree more with what uh, what Chris just said. You know, it's not about tree hugging. It's not about saving the planet. It's about enabling 
enabling organizations or, or companies to run a sustainable business. And sustainable, uh, sustainable business for me means uh, it should be economically viable for the mid and long term. And that requires in many areas, as Chris said, raw materials. Unfortunately, and now we're getting back to the planet or the planetary boundaries, um, some of those raw materials are finite. And if you're using finite materials, at some point in time and space, you will, have, you will have a problem with your current or existing business model. And that is just not sustainable. Actually, when I chose the quote, I thought about it's all about words, and this is a radio show, otherwise I would have sent a picture, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I have to ask you the same question I asked. Chris, am I calling you Chris or Christopher? Are we doing formal or informal here? you got to tell me now because we'll call you Chris. I want to be correct. Chris is fine. Okay. Okay. I can let my guard. I can take off the tuxedo now. Thank you very much and just relax. <laughs> well, I'm still dressed, but relax. Thank you very much. Chris Koch. So, uh, Will, I have a question for you. The title of this episode is Circular Economy, Radical and Unproven or Saving the Planet. And Chris Koch surprised me tremendously by saying he thinks it's radical and unproven, but the P word profitable was the surprise about what it means. What's your position on this, Will Ritzrap? I'm, I'm a little bit uh, mixed about this stuff. It, it's not saving the planet, but it is basically uh, it is it, it is saving at least parts of our current uh, economic models. And I would say it's it's it is for for some of some of the large organizations it is radical. It requires different thinking, but uh, I would argue that it is unproven. There are some visionaries who really do it and differentiate their businesses uh, through circular economies and are very, very profitable around this. Very, very interesting. I, I mentioned, thank you, well, I mentioned in my opening, uh, I mentioned kind of, uh, I guess it was a snarky sidebar comment. I talked about built-in obsolescence, and I know back in the day when we used to buy a fancy washing machine, with maybe 15 or 20 different buttons and dials and automatic this and that. And we figured (coughs) the buttons are going to break before you learn to use all the wash cycles and the dry cycles on the dryer. The buttons are going to break and you're going to either throw the darn thing out or you're going to put it on Craigslist or you're going to go back to a real basic with a dial that says wash, warm, cold, or hot. And that's really all you needed. So are we talking about... I know we're talking about a corporate perspective here, Chris and Will, but are we talking about this benefiting the consumer in any particular way? I know we'll get into this later, but I just thought I would alleviate some of the questions that our listeners around the world may have is, is what's the point of this? Is it just corporate profits or is it going to make our lives better? Chris, what do you think? It's definitely going to make our lives better. So uh, Will hinted at the, well, more than hinted at the issue of, resources and them being finite. Um, a recent m- report from McKinsey found that the, uh, the decade of the aughts was the period of the highest resource volatility in history. And yeah. so yeah. prices are all over the place. Um, there is also the issue of political instability in many of the mm-hmm. countries where these products, these raw materials are coming from. So, for example, they're fighting civil, a civil war in the Congo, 
over some of the key raw materials that go into the electronics that you and I take for granted. Uh, China has 97% of what's known as rare earth materials, and it's not that they're that rare. It's simply that China has has, uh, cornered the market on these. And so, you know, when you have that combined with the fact, as Will mentioned, that these are finite materials, you really have to start thinking about how you're going to build that into your supply chain, recovering recovery and reuse of these materials. So it simply starts to make business sense, again, as I said, and it, it becomes about making your supply chain more efficient and ultimately making your company more profitable. Thank you very much. Will, what is your thought on that? Go ahead. Uh, and, and if I just may to add, is if, if you look at, for example, the reservoirs of phosphate rock, in the U.S., those will end at your current consumption rates in roughly 36 years. And then you're exactly depending on, on these foreign resources, right? So that, that's things which, which, are, which can become uh, important and that adds to the, 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 the price volatility. Uh, Chris mentioned and price volatility is always bad on your margin, right? But I would like to come back to uh, the question you posed around what, what's, what's good about the consumer, or is it, could it be mm-hmm. good for consumers? And let me tell, tell you a little story about me and my wife, right? So my, yes. my wife uh, is showering every morning at 6 And sometimes our, our heating is, uh, you know, I, I don't take care of the heating uh, in a way she would love me to take care of the heating, right? So I was, uh, I was, when I was in sales, I was, I was at uh, a German producer of heating systems, right? So I said, well, you know, have you ever thought about selling, instead of selling a heating system, have you ever thought about selling warm water? And they said, hmm. well, you know, you know, well, right, that's a business transformation. That is, that's a business model change. And, and they said, you know, our mindset is to, to, to assemble and sell products. And then they said, well, would you pay for this? I said, if you make sure that my wife has hot water in the, in the morning and you make, uh, and make sure that the, the heating system, your asset, which would stay your asset, would run at the at the least cost with the highest efficiency, I would pay you a monthly fee for that. And if you would make sure that the heating is turned on when we're at home and is turned off when we're outside, I would even save, save money based on the, on the redu- reduced energy consumption. And you would, you would make sure that I feel comfy when I'm at home. So I think new business models would actually increase the consumer loyalty or the customer loyalty while optimizing the asset resource. And that company would immediately know when my heating or components of the heating system would, would go out of whack and they would replace them and they would funnel or refunnel those materials back into their supply chain. So I think new business models would be great, would be really great for us consumers as well. I think everybody yeah, has so, to benefit in this equation. Go ahead, Chris, please. Yeah, well, the question is whether the CEOs are listening, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, ask any rational CEO if he or she would like to add three points to their margin. I think the answer would be yes, right? Yeah. Well, yes. that is the boost 
that customers are giving businesses because uh, they are ready to give businesses if that business is associated in their minds with sustainability. So uh, last time Nielsen did its corporate, global corporate sustainability report, they found that brands that are associated with sustainability grew 3% more in one year than the rest of the field. Really? So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, consumers have said time and again in research that they're willing to pay more uh, for sustainability. Um, and the companies, as, as I just said, perform better when they get there. The question is, is you know, when uh, Will had his discussion with those guys coming out to uh, fix his heating system, did they go back and tell their company about it? That this is the pro- This is the issue right now. Are yeah. CEOs yeah. listening? Because customers are saying this is what they want. Yeah. I totally Fair. agree. And there are examples, go ahead, Will. Tony. If, if, mm-hmm. if I may, if I may, yeah. There was a recent report of, of the conference board where they say uh, they looked at companies, uh, the contribution of sustainable products to, to the overall revenue. One piece, if you look at Philips lighting, for example, right? So they moved from the old light bulb to LED lighting, which is not only less, less energy consuming, but more light efficient. They also move at light as a service. And, and the new product, the more sustainable products contribute more than 50% to, to their revenue. The annual revenue, I think that was in, in 2016. And the growth rate of those, those sustainable products are six times as high as, as the growth rate of, uh, of the classical products. So it's not about triaging. It's about profitability, growth, and even bottom line. <coughs> yep. Very, very interesting. Uh, excuse my cough here, gentlemen. I have a question for both of you. I want to go into a little bit of storytelling, but I love the story about uh, your spouse in the shower hour and the warm water, uh, Will. That was very interesting, and we love storytelling here on Game Changers. So I'm going to move around the table to Chris Koch, and I'm going to ask you, Chris, two questions. They're two personal questions, but I promise they're not too personal, okay? If you can spell, you can figure that one out. Number one. Where are you calling us from today? What part of the world? And number two, what's in your cup today? But Chris, if you're drinking something plain or boring or blah, we don't want to know. We'd love to know your favorite beverage story that powers you, makes you smile, and makes you be so smart. Go ahead, Chris. Well, that's great. So I am coming, talking to you from the beautiful town of Brookline, Massachusetts, oh. which is right outside of Boston. Um, mm-hmm. I can see the Prudential Tower from my dining room window. That's how close we are to uh, to the beautiful city of Boston. I've been here for 30 years. Um, oh my. It's a great place to live and to raise your one child or one daughter that we have. Um, and in terms of a drink, I am certainly not drinking it now because it's uh, 12.25 here Eastern time, but... The drink that really makes me smile is a, uh, we're seeing a growth in um, what we would call craft gin making. So you remember mm. that the, uh, the movement towards craft beer making that began in the sure. 80s. We're seeing that happening right now in the U.S. and in Europe, uh, especially. Um, you may not know this, but uh, many people believe that gin was originated in England. In fact, it was not. It was originated in Holland. And so my favorite gin, one that can be enjoyed 
on its own without anything else is something called NOLETS, N as in Nancy, O-L-E-T, apostrophe S. And the NOLET family has been making spirits since the 1600s in Holland. <laughs> and um, this is a beautiful drink that I will just say is like drinking flowers. I'll leave it, I'll leave it to your listeners' imaginations to imagine what that tastes like. Wow, and I looked up, I do that pretty quickly, there was an article on October 17, 2014, Chris, in the Houston Chronicle called Outstanding Nolitz Gins Hail from Century-Old Dutch Distiller, and it goes, Nolitz Reserve Gin, distilled and bottled at the Nolitz Distillery in Holland, is sipping gin from a family that has been creating spirits for more than, and that's where it trails off. Another one at uh, Rob, robbreport.com Food and Drink, as the oldest Distillers in Holland, the Nolet family began making Jennifer in 1691, blah, blah, blah. And there's another one about the family re-releases the world's most expensive gin in an article also on Rob Report in June 2013. So very, very interesting. Thank you for that. That's a new one. I didn't challenge you specifically to come up with a drink nobody else has ever mentioned on, let's say, about 1,500 shows with about 4,000 guests, Chris, but you did it. So congratulations. Right. You deserve a drink of gin as soon as the show is over. I don't care what time it is, and we'll never, we'll never tell, but you got to wait for the next 33 minutes. So there you go. Okay. And now, Will Ritzrow, I know we called you. Where in the world are you today? And what do you love to drink, Will? Actually, I'm in the beautiful headquarters around Heidelberg in Germany. Uh, the sun is shining. It's uh, it's a quarter past six o'clock in the evening, uh, and uh, actually I'm you know I'm I'm fairly dry right now, even though this show is between me and my first beer in the evening. But uh, <laughs> for, for interesting drinks, I would like to tell you a little story. When I was still working in science, uh, we were working on 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 the ice of uh, northeast Greenland. And we just came back from with the helicopter towards our research vessel, and uh, the crew and the rest of the team had uh, had docked on the on the or had uh, side, went sideways to one of the big ice shelves, and they had rum punch on on the ice. So we mm. went straight from from the from the helicopter down onto the ice, uh, and we enjoyed that rum punch and. Uh, as you may can, or as, as you can imagine, the way back onto the ship after being all day on the ice working without food was, um, to put it mildly, interesting. It was interesting, but we had a lot of fun having rum punch on the ice of Greenland. That sounds very interesting, and there's nothing better than cold rum punch, I have a feeling. But you know what, Will? You're in a time zone where you can have that drink of Nolitz gin on Chris's behalf, and nobody would say a word. But just just give me, we're down to now 31 minutes, so if you can just hold that, you can have that. Chris will have will. to wait a little longer. Well, my secret, not such a secret, people know this, is that they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And Tuesday is a double header. Already did a show at 10 a.m. Eastern, and now here we are starting at 12 noon on our one of our newer series, Game Changing Conversations. And I have a quick shout-out to Shannon Lester and Amy Bateman at SAP who put this together. And I can say you really rocked this topic and two great panelists, Amy and Shannon. So thank you very much. But they don't let me have caffeine, so all I'm allowed to have on Tuesdays, 
It's cool, clear water from a cool, clear mug, and I have a pink straw because I'm here in Durham, North Carolina, and Chris, I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts for several years. Uh, my husband at the time was at Harvard Architecture. I was commuting by whatever we called it, the tram, from Cambridge to BU, and I used to take my son on the back of my bike in the summer and, and a little baby carrier in the back, he was about three, to Radcliffe Daycare. So we were quite the college family, even with a three-year-old on the back of the bike, uh, uh, but anyway, just that's a, so I remember I have the idea where you are. And yes, we went into Boston for concerts and I went there for back and forth commuting to my classes. So you're in a wonderful area. So that's all I have is my water. And I'm going to say right now that I'm going to give my panelists the break, a pause that refreshes. We're speaking with two very smart gentlemen about a very important topic, circular economy. Radical and unproven are saving the planet. And I have to admit, again, that when I was given this topic for the show today by Amy Bateman, I thought, wow, we're going to talk about saving the planet. And I found out that's not where it is. That's not what it's about. So we're going to have a lot more with Chris Koch and Will Ritzrow when we come back. My message to our listeners, you know the drill. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll take about 90 seconds, count them along with us, and we'll be right back. Aaron out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. In a world where disruption is the new reality, industry-leading companies are partnering with their most strategic customers to navigate these changes and co-innovate for success. When industry's top minds work together to solve tough problems faster, we all run better. Join our experts as they discuss the power of co-innovation, the impact of emerging technologies on the future of business and everyday life, and the importance of helping the world run better to improve people's lives. Game Changing Conversations is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Game Changing Conversations presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Conversations. Yes, indeed, we are having a very game-changing, very conversation today with my two esteemed panelists, Christopher Koch and Will Ritzrau, but Chris said I could call him Chris, so we're going to relax a little bit. We're talking about the circular economy, radical and unproven are saving the planet. The jury is still out, but I think we're leaning toward radical and unproven. We're going to start the roundtable now with some notes that Chris sent me before the show. And Chris, I'd love a few, uh, let's do a little historical looking back to give some more examples. So I have here in your notes, the circular economy first got started in 1972 in an industrial park in a little city on the coast of Denmark called Kalundborg. That's one I'd like you to talk about. And the other one, I think you have a wonderful Rolls-Royce story about power by the hour in 1962. So could you give us a couple case studies, Chris, and you can emphasize the radical and unproven wherever you'd like, and then we'll have Will chime in and see if he agrees or disagrees. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, so, uh, Bonnie, I think that the, the, what we're talking about here is a perception. So if you, if you think about radical and unproven, that is the perception that is out there right now 
especially among CEOs uh, at, at uh, just about any company you would talk to. But we have evidence that this can work. So uh, when you think about circularity, you're talking literally about one company's waste being another company's raw material. And uh, in 1972, as you mentioned, in Denmark, uh, this pretty much started by accident. There was one company, uh, an oil refinery, that had excess gas that it began sending to a nearby gypsum board manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And that started this virtuous loop. And uh, it's a very, it's a tight community there. So the companies, uh, the executives know each other. The development of this industrial park, and they began having conversations and they realized that there was a lot of different things that they could be doing to uh, essentially duplicate that, which is uh, that um, one company's waste becomes another's raw material. There's one rule that they had, however, and 40 years later and 13 different companies uh, that are doing exchanges now, the one rule was that this had to be profitable for both companies. So again, there's no tree hugging here. This is about profitability. And together now, those companies in the area are saving almost $100 million each year while reducing mm. waste and emissions significantly. Uh, it's not zero, but it is, they are, they are, they, they've uh, increased the, the savings significantly. In fact, when um, there was, and this is done without regulations, you know, mm -hmm. you always think about Europe and you think, well, the, the the government must have made them do it. No, that's not the case at all. Um, they've had basically normal environmental regulations, just as we have here. And back in the 90s, uh, they have a, a, a fairly dirty coal-fired uh, energy plant there that's the largest in Denmark. And as you have generally around the world now, um, emissions controls were implemented to try to take some of the um, the, the dirt out of the emission uh, out of the smokestacks from the coal-fired plants. And interestingly, the output of scrubbing that smoke was something that is the actual raw material for gypsum board. So they literally took the uh, the cleanup that they were doing from that plant and started using it instead of trucking the stuff up from mines in Spain, they uh, took it from next door. And imagine how much more profitable that is to be doing that. So this you know little area is 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 basically proof in concept that with the right kind of cooperation among companies, you can do this. And I think the big change that Will can speak to is how technology has, has changed this, this, this. Basically, you had a need to be right next door to each other, right? So, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to be piping uh, gas across Europe from one company to another. Uh, it makes ec most economic sense to do it right next door. But technologies are, are basically changing the need for, uh, you know, this proximity that we've had in the past. So I think that, that might be an interesting thing for us to talk about. That's great. And we'll get to the Rolls-Royce example in a minute. But, Will, I would love to have you comment on this. Uh, and I have another idea about where it really started, but it's a little bit of a novelty. I'll wait. Go ahead, Will. What do you think about this starting off with the gypsum company and the excess gas in Kallenborg, Denmark? Thoughts? 
Well, you know, what, what, what Chris uh, explained very nicely was that uh, people came together, they collaborated in a, in a trustful way. And unfortunately, I have to say, uh, in the current value chain models, there is very little trust in, in, the, in the customer and the supplier or between the, the collaborating, uh, collaborating companies. The second thing which uh, Chris nicely said is that the business case was very clear. The mm-hmm. business case was very clear between two or maybe at the end seven, eight, nine companies. But the first business case was very clear. That's, for example, why Airbnb is picking up. It's a very simple business case. You are looking for a finite resource in Waldorf. I may have a guest room, a finite resource. Both of us have a benefit out of this, this little deal. Now, if you're looking at the larger value chains, uh, the business case is not clear because nobody actually feels responsible for a raw material. Usually the responsibility of a product ends at your uh, yard gate, right? And the responsibility is transferred to your customer. If there's an issue, it's, it's basically handled by your customer service or the legal, legal department. Mm-hmm. But what we need is a different, different thinking and mindset as well away from the silo optimization, and that's what Chris said, you know. The, the exhaust was, was uh, given in a trustful way to a next company, right? And that was in Denmark in close proximity. Now, if we're looking at technology and especially the new uh, information technology like blockchain, which is heavily used in finance, you could use blockchain very nicely to follow and track materials through the supply chain. And every process step adds just a new, uh, a new criteria or category to, uh, to the material. So technology could actually help and, uh, and, and bridge the, 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 let's say, the, the regional gaps of, of companies plus the associated transparency would be a great foundation for trust, for trustful collaboration to create uh, larger values of, of a material. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Go ahead, Chris. I know you want to say. Go ahead. Yeah, I have, I have a good example of what Will is talking about. So Please. Um, we have one of the pressures that's pushing this is increased urbanization. So. Uh, yeah. roughly 70% of the world's population is going to be living in urban areas by 2050. And mm-hmm. so, obviously, if you want to live in a clean, unpolluted city, uh, we're going to have to start thinking about the, the end game uh, of the value chain. Um, and there are some companies that are already doing that. And it, the reason is because of the crowding. Um, it's not just a pollution issue, right? So, You've got two companies that are direct competitors, Nestle and PepsiCo. So they both, uh, and this is in Belgium, this happened. Um, mm-hmm. They both deliver to, uh, to fresh uh, retailers, meaning you know, stores that, that sell, let's say, sandwiches and drinks uh, at lunchtime, and then they turn things around for the afternoon and the evening. Lots of deliveries being made. They've got to keep the food cold and fresh. And both companies realized that they were sending trucks half full, quarter full, and it didn't make any sense. Yes. And they got together and said, let's collaborate. 
And so they created a, a unified uh, logistics system so that they are both contributing into, let's say, a single truck, and they're filling it up, and they're coordinating on deliveries to the same store. Now, you might think, okay, these are, these are direct competitors, and, and they are ferocious competitors. So what they did is they actually hired a third-party logistics company to manage this so that they maintain privacy between the two uh, streams of food and beverages so that, you know, trade secrets were not being given to, to the other party. Um, and they also, uh, it helped them avoid some of the collusion issues that you might have, like, you know, let's say from, uh, from the government thinking that these two are maybe fixing prices or something like that. But uh, Will's uh, example of blockchain becomes fascinating mm-hmm. in this case because they're paying a lot of money to this third-party logistics provider to keep things separate and make it all run. But if you had blockchain, you could do that. It, it could almost be auto-run. Uh, you know, you, you could, you could uh, handle these contracts and, and these separations uh, completely through technology, and you would just need some people, you know, at, at certain stages to make sure that everything was getting into the trucks. But they have saved, uh, both of them have cut their transportation costs by 44%, and they've reduced wow. their carbon emissions by 55%, according to the World Economic Forum. So that's, it. you know, it, thanks in part to uh, just the technologies that they've already got, like analytics, tracking technologies like GPS. Mm-hmm. So if you brought blockchain into it, those savings would go up even more. So again, that comes back to the profitability. This is the opportunity that's being missed here. Chris, do you think they're going to be using blockchain technology at any point in the future? I notice in your notes you say it could make it possible to set up these kinds of partnerships without complexity, without the expense, without the third party. We know that blockchain has a trusted loop base, a trusted chain where all parties have to agree, where you can validate things, where you can stop fraud and theft, and, and it sounds ideal. What will it take? We're not at the predictions part of the show yet, but what will it take for them to introduce blockchain to make it happen, as you say, almost seamlessly? Yeah, that's a great question because I think what's happening right now is that there's so much uh, confusion out there between Bitcoin and blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Bitcoin is something that's very controversial. It's unproven. Mm-hmm. You're hearing you know, Warren Buffett say, oh, God, stay away from that stuff. Um, but the underlying technology, blockchain, is very solid. And it is undergoing extraordinary fast, extraordinarily uh, development, extraordinary quickly, and it's becoming very, very uh, secure and and usable. And Will can speak to that in, in more detail. So I think absolutely that is the direction that it's going. Once we get past all of this Bitcoin sort of noise, uh, we can, you know, logistics companies are going to see that this is something that they can do um, at some point and save a lot of money. Will, I'd love to get your yeah. thoughts on that. What do you think? Is this coming soon to a, to a collaborative partnership on, on a circular economy soon, or is it far off? What's going to take? I'm, I, you know, as much as I, as I like what Chris said, uh, it's, uh, I think you need, similar to the example of what Chris said, you need a mediator in between. So somebody has to hmm. actually say, guys, you know what? We, we have this technology, we own this technology, uh, we will run this technology for you and let's build a, a common, a joint business case about uh, the larger value we, we can create 
and everybody chips in, right? That is, uh, that's what, what has to happen. I don't know if we, if we do it, but uh, there needs to be a real business reason that somebody would take the responsibility of this blockchain for the entire value chain. And that, I think, that's not going, going to happen. It happened in, 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 in the healthcare and the pharma area where all of a sudden there's very strong regulations that the pharma companies need to show the trace, traceability and trackab- uh, trace and trackability uh, of, of their goods. Uh, that is a, that's a regulation approach. We're not there for, for the blockchain of other and usual or normal goods. And I don't like regulations because, you know, what do you do when you see a speed trap? You, you stop or you slow down a little bit and afterwards you speed up again. Speed up, that's so right. I think, right? So, so what I would actually like to see is, uh, and I, I would like to see incentives. I would like to see incentives on, on, on circular, like uh, reducing taxes on, on repair uh, efforts, right? Instead of... Uh, instead of having a, a, a negative regulation and a prohibition of, of things. I would like to see it an incentive to run circular economies and, and, and circular value chains. Thank you. I, I want to get something in here, two things. Number one, I said I think I had the idea of, of maybe the origins of all this back farther than you mentioned, Chris. I'm thinking of quilting, taking fabric mm. that would normally be tossed away and creating mm-hmm. something for warmth and comfort for decoration and just repurposing, recycling, reusing. Maybe I'm off base here, but I just the picture of a quilt came to mind of uh, using materials that would normally be tossed, and they are nearby, and there's no blockchain involved. That was just a sidebar. Now, Ellen MacArthur Foundation, when I mentioned my opening quote, uh, Professor Walter R. Stahl, the author of The Performance Economy, I noticed in his bio he works closely with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation on promoting his ideas with economic actors, meaning people are involved in this in the economy. We're talking circular economy. Will or Chris, you want to talk a little bit about what the foundation is doing? I, I saw the name pop up many times in my research. <coughs> Excuse me. I can talk a little well, maybe bit. I saw uh, yeah, go, go ahead, Will. You want to go, Chris? No, go ahead. Uh, what, what, yeah, I, I, I will. Um, mm-hmm. I would... What I would like to do is I would actually recommend there's a TED Talk by, it's actually Dame Ellen MacArthur. And for mm-hmm, those, okay. those of you who, who, who don't know uh, Ellen MacArthur, she was, a sing, she was sailing single-handed around the world. Mm-hmm. And while she was sailing single-handed, and she was, she's keeping or still holding a few of the world records of uh, single-handed female sailors around the world, she was realizing that everything she, she had on the boat... Uh, or everything she needed needed to be on the boat, right? And 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 she figured out there's no there's no extra supply. And at some point in time in space, she decided that instead of continuing being a professional sailor, she would actually like to change the world. And and uh, that's how she got uh, involved and engaged into into the circular economy. And they're publishing great great publications about, for example, the new plastics economy, uh, how, how the plastic economy could be moving away from, uh, from uh, take-make-waste take, concepts, uh, avoiding, for example, the plastics in the oceans. There's 8 million tons of plastics entering the ocean every year, uh, leading to these huge plastic gyres in the ocean. And 
the Alan MacArthur Foundation, I think, is one of the organizations who are really pushing this, this topic, and, uh, topic and, and talking about, especially also the economic value and benefit of uh, engaging in circular economies. Thank you very much. Chris, and, uh, love to get your thoughts on Dame Ellen MacArthur and, and uh, add to what, what Will just shared with us. Yeah, the, the background on her is wonderful. Uh, I've done a lot of research on their site. So, you know, what they're doing is they are trying to point out these stories uh, that, that we are, we've been talking about the entire show, the opportunities that exist out there mm-hmm. for businesses to make money off of this. And one of the things that we haven't talked about is the issue of reducing complexity. So, um, you know, that, that, that's, that uh, feeds into profitability, but it also feeds into, you know, what is your, remember the, the issue of core competence. What do, you, what do you do well as a business? And so um, you think about airlines, their, their core competence is service. And uh, what their core competence is not is fixing extremely complex airplanes. So, um, you know, Will was talking about Airbnb, and we think about this sharing economy, the sort of, uh, you know, pay for the service rather than owning a car, that we think about it this as being new. But in fact, this goes back to, well, there are examples, as you said, quilting, where mm-hmm. people have said, you know, it makes just makes sense. to, to uh, it, It's complex for us to find places to, to throw all this stuff out. We may as well use it again. Let's, let's, uh, let's make this viable for us. Airlines said as early as 1962, we, we just, we're not in this business of fixing these complex airplanes. And so uh, Rolls-Royce began offering what they called power by the hour, where um, the airlines literally have no responsibility for the maintenance of the engines themselves that are on the planes. Um, they, Rolls-Royce takes care of that, and they enable the airlines to focus on what they do, which is optimizing the use of the planes, getting as... You know, you, you may you, you may like this or not like this, but you know, optim- getting as many people on those planes as they can to to make oh, as yeah. much money as they can, um, and you know, we don't talk the about the Rolls Royce. <laughs> I won't talk about being in the middle seat here, but um, <laughs> I always reserve an aisle seat. That's the only way I'll fly because I don't like to right. fly. Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, they, uh, you know, this is a really big deal where. You know, if you can save even 1% of fuel savings per jet per year, that can yield $250,000. So, um, you know, with the development since 62 of all sorts of analytics and now IoT, there are sensors on the planes, on the engines, so that they there's a new uh, a new generation of Rolls-Royce engines now where um, they are fully sensorized, if you will, and you can do things like predictive maintenance, so they can start to tell once when a when a, a part is starting to wear out, and they can take it they can take the plane out of circulation preemptively, so that you don't. Bonnie and Will, I'm sure, and like an audience has has uh, experienced this. You're sitting out on the runway, and all of a sudden, the air conditioning goes off, and they say, "Oh, we seem to have a problem with the engine. We're going to get back to you in an hour or two to let you know when we're taking off." You know, that sort of thing is obviously something the airlines want to avoid. And with this uh, sensorization, with this technology, they're able to do that. And that's saving, uh, you know, literally uh, millions of dollars a year uh, for, for airlines as they begin to make this more, um, uh, more efficient over time. 
Thank you. You know what, gentlemen? I'm looking at I'm looking at the look at the clock here. It's 53 after. We've got four minutes to close the show. So I'm going to suggest we regroup for a part two. Would you like to join me on my main show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship at the end of the summer, and continue this conversation? Chris and Wilp, you willing to come back? Absolutely. Sure, Bonnie. Good, good. I'll send you an invitation. So I I hate to interrupt, but we have to do our predictions. And I think we've been talking predictions all the way through. And by the way, I just visited EllenMacArthurFoundation.org. And their mission statement is to accelerate the transition to a circular economy, working with business, government, and academia to build a framework for an economy that is restorative and regenerative by design. Everybody should go take a look at that. Chris Koch, I'm going to give you 60 seconds for your prediction, whatever you want. Stay on the topic, circular economy. Let's look out between tomorrow and 2025, if you don't mind. And 60 seconds, what do you see coming up the pike in terms of radical and unproven or not so radical and very proven? When's that going to happen? Yeah, I think you're going to start seeing more uh, test cases. Um, I think Will's point about trust is, is hugely important. It's not there right now. And that's the shift that I think is going to take place over the next few years as we begin to have uh, technologies like blockchain, like Internet of Things. What it means is it basically forces companies uh, to start working more closely together within their supply chains because everything becomes so much more internetworked um, mm-hmm. and dependent upon each other. So. My prediction is that that trust is going to start to build and we will start to see more uh, circular practices and uh, perhaps start moving uh, like Kallenberg to more fully circular economies in the next uh, or supply chains in the next five years or so. Thank you, Chris. I have exactly 60 seconds for Will Ritzrow. Don't talk fast, but do it. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, with Chris, and I think for some, especially high value and finite resources, circular will become a business imperative that requires the trust. That also requires a different education of classical economics away from silo optimization towards uh, value creation. And I would like to finish by saying it's not about saving the planet. I would like to say that it is. It would only be fair to our kids, our grandchildren, that they will have the opportunity to live a life as, as we have. And if we continue like now, that's not going to happen. So from that perspective, circular will, will need to come and it will come. Thank you very much. I like that positive attitude. Yes, we want to leave the place, at least in the condition that we found it, if not so much better. Christopher Koch, such a pleasure. You and I know each other from Team Calls, and we never really got to know each other till today. So thank you very much. Will Ritzrow, such a pleasure. And I will send you both an invitation to continue this. There's no work on your part, just a new opening quote, and we'll rock and roll. Later in the summer, probably September, I'll send you a date. We book fast on Game Changers Radio. Shout out to our engineer, Aaron. Uh, Aaron has to close the show. Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio Business Channel. Thank you very much. Shout out to Amy Bateman and Shannon Lester. Great conversation. Conversation. Great panel. Thank you very much. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt, whatever it's made from. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Christopher Koch and just like Will Ritzrow. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel. Have a great day. Bye-bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Conversations. Best run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.